Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday the 29th of June. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. Hey, Annika. Hey, Tom. And on today's briefing, I want you to think back to your childhood. Were you allowed to take many risks? Were you allowed to get in trouble? Or did your parents intervene not allowing you to have any risks? So if they're never given the chance to scooter downhill and realise they went too fast and jump off the scooter or graze a knee or something, when they're older, they won't know what their limit is because they haven't tested it themselves. And instead, their limit becomes what scares mum and dad. So that is the voice of Daisy Turnbull, the daughter of Malcolm Turnbull, and she's a teacher and she's written a book called 50 Risks You Should Take With Your Kids. It is a pushback on helicopter parenting. I will interview her in today's briefing. First, here are the big stories of the day. Perth and the Peel region are in day one of a four-day full lockdown after three cases of community transmission. And Darwin's lockdown has been extended by 72 hours, so that's until Friday afternoon after another case was uncovered there yesterday. And this new case in Darwin's linked to the Tanami Gold Mine Cluster, which has now grown to seven. This comes as New South Wales announced 18 new cases yesterday. That's after 30 and 29 on the two days before. There's also been three days where testing levels have been over 50,000 people, Tom. Yeah, so some slightly good news there from New South Wales, but very tough lockdowns in those two other states. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison says people under 40 will be allowed to get the AstraZeneca jab if they want to, in an effort to speed up the vaccine rollout because we've got millions of spare doses. The ATAGI advice um, talks about a preference for AstraZeneca to be available for those over 60. But the advice does not preclude persons under 60 from getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, the Prime Minister made this announcement following National Cabinet last night where they signed off on an indemnity scheme for doctors who give the vaccine to people under 60. So the advice is still for people over 60 to preferably get AstraZeneca and people under to get Pfizer. But given the really low risk, it's 3.7 in 100,000 people of getting a blood clot. They've decided to give people a say in whether they do it. Yeah, I think this is a really good idea. Um, If people are willing to tank on that risk and get the AstraZeneca vaccine, they should be able to. It's something I would definitely do. What do you think of this idea? Yeah, I think it's really good. Look, there's a lot of other drugs, as we know. Most women will know that the contraceptive pill comes with a certain risk of blood clots. Um, It's something you can accept and, you know, depending on when you talk to your GP, your certain risk factors that some people decide, you know, the benefits outweigh the risk. And we do know our vaccination rate is extremely low. We've only had 5% of people receive both doses. So I think it's a really good idea that they've done this, giving people a level of personal responsibility and whether they decide to take it or not. The Prime Minister also revealed state and national leaders had agreed to make everyone uh, working in aged care to get vaccinated by September. We have agreed uh, to mandate vaccination uh, to have at least one dose by September, mid-September 2021 of all residential aged care workforce against COVID-19. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews fronted the media for the first time since March yesterday after taking medical leave to recover from spinal and rib injuries sustained in a fall. So you were at this press conference yesterday, Annika, and it seems like... The press gallery, including yourself, finally got a chance to ask 
all about the circumstances around the injury. Yeah, he was asked repeatedly about the circumstances about the fall and, and how long his recovery took. It's been the subject of a lot of questions and rumours, especially by the Victorian opposition who demanded a lot of answers recently. But Andrews expressed extreme frustration at the rumours. He said his kids had been taunted. He described them as vile and wicked and said people were trying to politicise his accident. What fed those stories is the vile, wicked nature of the people who've put them around. And what's more, the vile behaviour and conduct of those who've sought to turn them into a political weapon. And that is not just one person, it's more than one person. So was the reality also that there was a bit of an information vacuum here about what exactly happened? I asked the Premier about that, saying, you know, is there some way that perhaps you could have handled it differently and perhaps if we had more information at the start, these rumours wouldn't have spread. He denied that. He said he wouldn't have done anything differently. I think there is an element of that, though. And when you do have a fall like that, you know, information changes. But he said that he was told right from the start it would be a three-month recovery. But he did put out a statement to the press early on saying he'd be back in six weeks and then he changed that. So there was a lot of different information. We were told it was ribs initially, then he's back. Now doctors obviously were assessing him during this time, but because there was this sort of need for information, I think it did allow some of these rumours to perhaps flourish. Now some of them are the most absurd things I've ever heard, but they could have been cleared up quite quickly. So he's back at work. He says none of them have any merit. It was a family holiday and he's going to stick around to the election next year in 2022 and try and win for the third time. I guess the thing is, like, leading up to this accident, he'd been giving um, really long press conferences every day. So it set this precedent of incredible transparency and time fronting the media. So suddenly when people didn't get that, I guess it was, it, it seemed a little strange. But in normal times, political leaders wouldn't have given much access mm. to the media. In normal times, people usually don't know who the state premiers are, I've mm. found, covering politics for many years. But as you say, because Daniel Andrews last year fronted 120 press conferences on COVID, he became known not just in Victoria, but also around Australia. So to have him all of a sudden disappear, and a number of people pointed out, you know, the rest of us were working on Zoom and being able to work from home. We didn't see anything from him like that, just a few still shots uh, until recently. So I think that also fueled rumours as well. The former Liberal Party leader Brendan Nelson has come out in defence of Ben Robert Smith, describing the former SAS commander as the most admired Australian soldier in 50 years. The former director of the Australian War Memorial appeared as a character witness for Mr Robert Smith in his defamation trial, where he's suing the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and The Canberra Times. Dr Nelson said he got to know the Victoria Cross winner during his time as an ambassador in Europe and described Mr Robert Smith as the most respected and revered soldier since the Vietnam War. He also described how he was later warned by senior public figures about his association with Robert Smith. Aussie cyclist Caleb Ewan is out of the Tour de France after suffering a broken collarbone during a crash in the final 200 metres of last night's stage. Yeah, this is absolutely tragic. Um, he's an amazing rider who was in incredible form. He was right up the front in the first three stages, so including the one that he crashed out in overnight. So for a lot of Aussie cycling fans, this is really sad. Obviously it is for him too and his team because he did so much hard work for his team. And this has been a crazy Tour de France so far. So we're three days in. There've been so many crashes, um, particularly that one on the first stage uh, where that woman was holding this cardboard sign 
basically not even watching the race, looking at the cameras, and the peloton crashed into her, taking out heaps of riders, including um, riders right at the top because it was right in the front peloton, and they still can't find the woman, Annika, who fled the scene. Yeah, I feel like I've seen a million pictures of her and probably wouldn't recognise her by now, but she managed to get away. And when you look at the footage, she was actually hit herself, so she's got up and fled the scene pretty quickly, which um, is understandable given the carnage she caused. All right, in just a moment, Daisy Turnbull. So Annika, how did you grow up? Do you feel like you were able to tank or, you know, allowed to tank a lot of risks as a kid? Yeah, I do. And I think that was for a few reasons. I was born in the mid to late 80s and I grew up in a country town, which I think means you usually can have a few more risks. There's fewer cars on the road and you usually know everyone in town. And also um, my parents split up when I was about eight years old. So it wasn't wasn't really even a choice, you know. I, I had to pitch in. It was a single mum and me or a single dad and me. And it meant that, you know, I, I had to be left to my own devices sometimes. And it might not have been deliberate, but I think it was actually a really good way to parent. What about you? Yeah, well, I grew up in the country as well, which I think is a factor when it comes to parenting and, and risk in your childhood. So on the physical stuff, yeah, it was wild motorbikes, you know, fights with my brothers. My brother Sam. No helmets. Uh, no helmets. Uh, on the motorbikes, you had to have, wear a helmet. And then on the bikes, we started, push bikes, we started to wear helmets. My brother even threw like a full-blown tire lever at the back of my head once and like blood came pouring <laughs> out. Once I hit a golf ball at him and it smashed him in the forehead. Full-blown golf I hit a swing. golf ball at a kid too. Maybe that was a really big thing to do in the 80s. <laughs> but yeah, then on some other levels, we weren't allowed to take so many risks. Like we were in a strict Christian church, which we meant we had all these rules around sex and alcohol and all that kind of thing. So on that kind of level, we weren't allowed to take a lot of risks. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I look at some of the way my friends or family parent now, and I feel they're really heavily involved in what their kids do. And this can be a really good thing, but it also takes away a lot of those risks and mistakes that you make as a kid. One of the examples I always see is everyone I knew fell off a trampoline at some point and broke a limb. And now they're really heavily protected. Kids don't sort of do it with the same gusto, I guess. Yeah, and this is the topic that Daisy Turnbull is riffing on in her new book. She's Malcolm Turnbull's daughter. She's a teacher. She's been teaching at a Sydney girls' school for eight years. And uh, this book that we're going to explore is called 50 Risks to Tank with Your Kids. And it's sort of a way of, I guess, rebalancing some of that intense helicopter parenting. So she joins us now on The Briefing. Daisy, thank you for joining us. You're a mum of two, also a teacher. What are you seeing amongst parents has prompted you to write this book? What's the problem, do you think? I think what I saw was a lot of research that was going into how kids or you know students from my line of work are less resilient and we have increasing rates of anxiety and depression in teenagers. Amidst all this research, what I wasn't seeing was the actual what do we need to do as parents to help our kids with this. And so it kind of started as a bit of a, a joke, like a kind of 50 stupid things to do with your kids and then that title kind of stuck. A lot of this has to do with helicopter parenting, the idea that parents don't just sit back and let their kids run around, they sort of hover over them. It seems a strange paradox given we're told parents are busier than ever and working more, that they also have time to be so heavily engaged in what their kids do. So why do you think we've sort of transformed into that style of parenting compared to say when we all grew up? So I think there are a few things. You're right. Parents are a lot busier now, but I think parents are trying to be 
amazing employees and amazing parents and great friends and, you know, children of their own parents. They're trying to do too much, especially, you know, in, in Western cultures at the moment. Um, I also think a lot of this comes from there was an increased rate of kidnapping in the 80s and early 90s in the US and the UK, and then that got all parents terrified of letting their kids go outside and do stuff. Even though that risk of kidnapping decreased, the fear of parenting has remained. I think that has now translated to being very competitive parenting for a lot of people. Right. So is that about a a rising standard of living, our society having more resources and money, or is it also about the level of transparency and the increased information and the way we share our lives? It's very hard to understand where the law ends and judgment begins. So, for example, on one of the New South Wales transport websites, it says that you should hold your kid's hand walking down the street until they are 12. I have a seven and a half year old and he's almost my height. There is no way he wants to hold my hand walking down the street, let alone in like five years time. Now, that's not a law. You're not going to get pulled over by a cop. But what has happened, and there's been a few cases, I think, in Manly, but also in the US, of parents, you know, letting kids go to the shop for a few minutes or something, and other parents judging and then thinking that it was the wrong thing to do. So it's like, what is the legal age you can let your kid go to the shop and get you a bottle of milk? We don't actually know. And a lot of it is trusted to the parents. But then that means that the parents are very worried. They're not sure what the right age is. And what are the risks if we don't allow kids to take risks? What sort of people do they turn into either as teenagers or adults if they've been too coddled sort of in an early age and they're not allowed down the shops to buy the milk? Exactly. So if they're never given the chance to scooter down a hill and realise they went too fast and jump off the scooter or graze a knee or something, when they're older, they won't know what their limit is because they haven't tested it themselves. And instead, their limit becomes what scares mum and dad. If they don't have any choices and any autonomy, they get really frustrated and that can develop into, um, you know, in its worst case, into anxiety or depression from a, a lack of control. So when we were preparing for this interview, um, Annika and I had a chat about our own upbringings. Annika, you were saying that you grew up with a single working mum and that necessarily meant you took more risks potentially than other kids. I was allowed to take risks in some areas. Like on physical stuff, we were crashing bikes and falling over and fighting and all kinds of stuff. But then I grew up in an intensely Christian family, so we weren't allowed to take moral risks. And it led us to wonder what sort of upbringing did you have, Daisy? You obviously have very high profile parents. Were they helicopter parents? No, I think my parents were very normal 1980s, early 90s parents. They were both working my whole childhood, so I was very much aware of that. And I think for me that instilled, you know, a valuing hard work. But they, you know, they let us go down to the shops. They let us go bike riding around the neighbourhood. They let, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There were issues in growing up in the 80s and there were cases of kids being underparented. This book is very much for the overparenter to do a bit less parenting rather than for the underparenter. So let's look at some of the solutions. Tom's about to become a parent um, (laughs) at some stage in the next few months. So how early, you know, should we start letting kids take risks? We often over-respond to babies and that develops into like over-responding to them as toddlers. So the first risk is the baby can't fall off the floor. It's okay to, you know, put the baby down for a few minutes. I think especially for, you know, the primary parent, usually the mother's sanity. 
things like whether or not you're going to put your baby in a baby kind of playpen or let them roam around when they start crawling. I think we get too terrified of babies moving around and the things they could find. And of course, you want to remove dangerous items, but you also want them to develop that ability to explore because that's how they develop their spatial awareness, but it's also how they develop their own understanding. It's around six months that babies turn around and see their mums and go, oh my God, you're not actually a part of me. I I just realised we're not the same person right now. And that's a really important thing for babies to learn. Daisy, I love this idea and this is how I feel I was brought up and something I'd like to do when I become a parent, but I've waitressed, right? And I, you see kids ordering and it takes forever and it's excruciating. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure when you say allowing kids to take these risks, it means the parent has to be patient. You've got to let them yeah. fail if they're in the kitchen. How do you sort of just hold back and watch disaster happening when you can see <laughs> it and not intervene? One of the risks is helping, not helping. So it's letting your kid kind of help you put things away or or do whatever you're doing, even though they are in no way adding value or efficiency to the process. (laughs) But you've got to pick your moments. Don't do it when you're stressed. Don't do it when you're in a rush. Do it when you have time and you can let them stuff up and you can fix it afterwards. But ultimately, kids only learn to do this stuff by doing it. And yes, I understand watching a kid order is incredibly annoying, but (laughs) hopefully it means that as they become adults, they know how to do it. Because there are some adults who don't know how to order politely at a restaurant (laughs) and because they were never allowed to as children. Daisy, how much do you think these dynamics shift depending on how wealthy a family is? Because I imagine for poorer families, you don't choose your risk profile after reading a wonderful book by Daisy Turnbull and pondering, um, you know, how much risk you take. It's often an inherent part of, of that kind of life. How do you think that changes? And how do you think, you know, the way you brought up, and obviously it's well documented who your parents are, so not that you ever chose that, but how do you think that changed the way you see risk? Overparenting is something that happens generally. You'll see it in higher income families naturally. I think that this book is definitely for the overparenter and this book is more suited to families where they have that time. And there's obviously cases where that's not necessarily the case. But my childhood, I think the thing mum and dad taught me, I'm incredibly privileged and I'm aware of that, is to be grateful for it and use it as a, a way to work harder. And I think that's they're the risks they taught me. Recently, a lot of people have been stuck at home due to lockdowns and um, homeschooling. How do you think the pandemic has actually changed the way we parent? We've got parents now trying to be teachers, does that mean, unfortunately, they're even more involved in what their kids do and don't give them that freedom that they might have had? I think the pandemic has been really bad for kids and I don't think we're going to see the impacts of it for quite a while. But I have seen stories around kids kind of learning to do more things at home and being more helpful and contributing more to the family as a unit. And that's a good thing. But obviously, what kids need more than anything is socialisation and opportunities to spend time with their peers and that's what the lockdowns have stopped them being able to do. That was Daisy Turnbull. Now she's a teacher as we said and director of wellbeing. She's also a mum of two so she comes to this with a really interesting sort of backstory as both a parent and seeing it through a teacher's eyes. Her book 50 Risks to Take with Kids is available now. Now Tom, 
Do you have a copy of this? And <laughs> are you taking these sort of things on board because you're about to become a dad and it probably refocuses the mind. You start to remember how you were raised and the sort of kid you want to raise. So day one, are we going to bring the kid home and let it take these risks? Yeah, I am thinking about it <laughs> and I'm reflecting on my childhood as well through writing my book. And um, I'm a super liberal person. I believe in falling over and making mistakes and that, that pain is the best teacher and one of the only things we really learn from. So sort of that's how I see the world, but that's all going to be tested. These are all theories, you know. It, it might change once mm. I see that child and this innate urge comes in to look after it and protect it. It might all change and all my highfalutin, chilled out <laughs> theories might go out the window. It's a nice idea, isn't it? You see a kid in the kitchen with a knife cutting up and your natural reaction is to jump in and just say, I'll do it. But they've got to learn somehow. So it's really going to challenge you, I imagine. I think it will. And yeah, I read a fair bit of that book before the interview, but I probably should finish it. Tomorrow on The Briefing, Singapore has had a big change in their approach to COVID. They've decided to live with it. They're not going to report daily case numbers. They're going to report the numbers of people in hospital or in ICU. They've essentially decided to live with it, treat it more like the flu. How's that going to go down? Find out on tomorrow's briefing. Listener.